Hello and welcome to Deep Dive, a podcast looking beneath the surface of Japan. I'm Oscar Boyd. It's spring here in Tokyo, the weather's getting warmer, the cherry blossoms are on their way, and at the end of this month, one of Japan's most popular sports swings back into action. It's not sumo I'm talking about, it's baseball, watched by millions around the country. Joining me is the Japan Times' baseball correspondent, Jason Koskri, and today we'll be asking, what can we expect in Japan's upcoming baseball season, and how are some of the country's star players faring across the Pacific in the major leagues? Jason, thank you very much for joining me in the studio today. Thanks for having me. So I'm a complete baseball idiot. I don't know anything about it whatsoever. I'm from the UK. The closest thing we have is a game called Rounders, which... Do you not have cricket? We have cricket, but I'm not sure that's anything like baseball, really. I mean, the the differences are pretty stark, but I think at the baseline, they're not so different. It's a bat and a ball game. Yeah, there's a baseball player here recently who retired from baseball, and now he's trying to become a cricketer. Oh, really? He's in, I think he's in Australia now. Huh. Is that, are those transferable skills? Some of them are, I guess. I mean, bat and ball, that part of it. So I, don't, I don't particularly know how well he's doing right now, but he's <laughs> giving it a shot. Huh. I was surprised when I came to Japan to find out that baseball was such a big thing here. It was always something I'd associated with the States. Um, and then I moved to Fukuoka, which Joy upon Joy has had the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks, who have been a pretty strong team. And the whole city was mad for baseball. So perhaps my first question to you, uh, why is baseball so big in Japan? It's probably because it's it's a kind of sport that sort of lends itself to kind of like Japanese, like the wah and harmonious thing and every stuff like that. The sacrifice. And, and, and what others. do you mean by that? I mean it's kind of it's you've got a bunch of people all naturally wearing the same uniform, all working for a common goal. Everyone has their role on the team. It's it's very much in a lot of ways kind of a mirror image of. Not so much the way Japanese society exactly is now, but definitely the way it used to be and a lot of the sort of stereotypical things people think about Japanese society as far as the sameness and the the nail that sticks out, gets hammered down, that kind of thing is very much was part of the baseball culture. I think it's kind of been weeded out to some extent in Japanese society and baseball as well. But So I think because it, it kind of mirrored Japanese, it just was a game it lent itself to the Japanese very well. And when it came over in the however many, like a hundred or so years ago. It was the 1870s. Yeah, so um, they kind of took to it and you know, Japanese took it and ran with it and really made it their own game. And it's a culture now that's ingrained right from high school. You often see teams of high school students, always shaved hair, all matching kit, running around the city together. Yeah, and that, that's that's the thing, the, the sameness, the one machine kind of thing where everyone has to look the same and all that kind of stuff. Because you notice when, when they get drafted into the pro ranks, that's when guys start growing their hair back out. Oh, really? Like that's that. when they, they start expressing a bit more Right, because in, in high school, they're kind of, the manager sets the tone and the older players set the tone and everybody has to be the same. And there's you know no individuality and that sort of thing. But, of course, when you're a professional, now you're an adult and you're not under anyone's supervision per se. So you see guys starting to grow their hair out and that sort of thing. So you mentioned that the Japanese have made the game their own. It's quite different now from the American game. What are the major differences between the two? 
In preparation, I think the major difference is how they practice. Um, Americans tend to practice more for quality. Um, the quality of the practice makes you better. Japanese tend to practice more of a quantity kind of method where you just do it over and over and over and over again until you can't walk. And how does that ma- manifest itself in the way they actually play on the field? Japanese are a much more fundamental as far as baseball goes. Not to say Americans are bad, but the Japanese game is very much fundamental fielding-wise. They do everything I guess the right way. Again, not to say Americans do it wrong, but if you put an American game and a Japanese game side by side, you would notice the fundamentals. The Japanese are much, much sharper at it. And that's more of a because they practice it so much more and they practice the minute details of it, like down to the absolute core, where Americans sort of, not just Americans, but Dominicans, Latin Americans, that all those people, they practice it more to get better. It's more quality. I think. An apt, an apt thing that Robert Whiting once said, who is he's a, a famous baseball writer. He said the Americans took baseball and it's it's a game, it's work. Japanese took the game and turned it into a martial art, and mm. it's kind of the same because a lot of Americans come here and they're surprised by just how much work it takes and how hard the practices are. You spent actually quite a lot of time with teams, talking to teams. What would be a typical Japanese training? routine then if you said uh they keep going until they can't walk is that just an everyday occurrence or not so much an everyday occurrence now because that would kind of be counterproductive to winning <laughs> but i know especially during spring camp it's like 10 hour days stuff like that where you're running 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 pitching 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 throwing 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 and all that kind of stuff whereas an american spring training come in do a little running do a little weight training leave I mean, you do all the same stuff the Japanese do. You just don't. You just may not necessarily do it all in one day, whereas Japanese teams will often just do it all in one day, and then they'll do it again the next day, and then the next day again. <laughs> and like I was talking to Brandon Mann, who is a pitcher for the Chibolote Marines, yesterday, and I, mean, I know he was saying that he it was like he couldn't walk after the first couple of days <laughs> of practice because they were just going so hard and. You know, and he's used to it because he had been here in 2011. Then he he left and he came back this year. But it's hard to prepare for a 10-hour day of just repetitive motion and running and all that. But a lot of teams are good about letting the foreign players kind of do their own schedule because they know that there's no point in running the guy into the ground because it's not going to be able to help you. Sounds absolutely brutal. It can be. So that's the practice side of things. Then actually the game on the field itself, in terms of rules, is there anything different there or, or the playing style? Rules are all the same. And it's baseball is kind of baseball. Um, playing style, American, I keep saying Americans, but North American, I should say, because baseball is really prevalent in Latin America and Central America. Mm-hmm. And major leagues is just a lot of international players now. But anyway, in the major leagues, you see a lot more home runs. You see a lot more players trying to hit home runs. You see a lot more of um, strikeouts because players are trying to hit home runs, so mm-hmm. they swing and miss at the ball a lot. Mm-hmm. In Japan, you see a ton of sacrifice bunts, which people tend to hate in America because it's a free out. Because basically, as, as it says, you sacrifice yourself to get out to move the next guy ahead. And so you see it a lot in Japanese baseball where 
one guy gets a hit and he's on first base. And so the next guy is just going to give himself up to get an out to move that guy over. Whereas in America, they're just always trying to you know get runs, get runs. And the Japanese, they tend to play for one run at a time where Americans, MLB players like to put up crooked innings, which is to say, instead of scoring one run, why not try to score two or three or four? The Japanese style seems to be, but it makes sure you get at least one run. So I've heard, uh, from my understanding of the game, the American game or the Major League Baseball game can run infinitely, but the Japanese game is capped, right, in terms of the number of innings? Right, game? Japanese games are capped at 12 innings. Okay, and how does that affect things? Well, it affects things a lot in, in so far as you know when, you know when the game's going to end, so managers can have a more clear strategy as far as how they use their pitchers because you only have a finite number of players that you can use. And if you run out, then you've just run out. And um, so they can manage how they use their players better because they know the end of the game is coming. Whereas in America, you can't manage that. And so you end up with players who aren't pitchers pitching a lot. <laughs> it like, sounds like it could be uh, good for some fun it scenarios. It is. Yeah. People call it like weird baseball and that kind of <laughs> thing where you have an outfielder who has to pitch because the team's just out of pitchers or they're out of arms. Or you have a some teams have had pitchers playing in the outfield. And Ichiro pitched um, at least once in a major league game because they were I don't they're either getting blown out. And when you're getting blown out, you don't want to waste your players. So, again, you see outfielders and infielders pitching. So the difference is that the end of the game, Japanese teams can manage because there's a clear ending, whereas American teams have to kind of wing it. And then the other thing is the uh, the Japanese league, Nippon Professional Baseball, is split into two leagues. There's the Central League and the Pacific League. Can you tell me a bit about both of those leagues and the difference between them? There really is no... Um, at the core, there's really, there really is no difference. It's the same as in America where you have the American League and the National League. It's just that's just a delineation, really. I mean, I think the, the Central League used to all be a lot of centralized around Tokyo, and you have a lot of railway companies owning teams. But as far as differences between the game, the, differences, the big difference is the designated hitter, whereas in the Central League, the, your pitchers have to hit. And pitchers are not good at hitting because I guess they're working on pitching so much. So, Joy, tell me a little bit more about being a designated hitter. Designated hitter is basically you hit for the pitcher. Instead of having the pitcher hit, they have a guy who all he does is hit. He doesn't play in the field like a regular, an outfielder would play in the field. They need hit. Designated hitters just sit on the bench and then they get up to hit. And that way the pitcher doesn't hit, the designated hitter hits. Whereas in the Central League, the pitchers have to hit, which is, again, it mirrors America, whereas in the National League, pitchers hit, and in the American League, there's a designated hitter. This is such a learning experience. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know any of this before. So it's the start of the new season. I think March 29th is when the domestic league starts again. Yeah. What are you looking out for? What are you excited about? I'm excited to see how it shakes out. The Because the last couple of years have been sort of dominated by the Hiroshima Carp. But this year, at least the, some of the other teams have gotten stronger. The Yomiuri Giants took the Carp's best player, or at least their second best player. And the guy who's won the last two MVP awards, Yoshihiro Maru, they've taken him away. But then the Carp took Hisa Yoshichono, an outfielder from the Giants, 
So the Giants have gotten better. Hanshin added a pitcher, Onelki Garcia from Chunichi, who's a really good um, foreign pitcher. So they've gotten better. So I'm interested to see if the Carp will continue to kind of dominate in the Central League or if the other teams will finally catch up. And sort of the same in the Pacific League, because SoftBank, as you, like when you're in Fukuoka, everyone mm-hmm. loves the Hawks because all they do is win. And um, I'm interested to see, again, if they can keep winning because it seems as every year – the Japan series is the Hawks versus somebody in the Hawks winning. <laughs> Do you, is there a particular underdog team that you think might uh, surprise everyone this year? Mm, as a surprise, probably I would say, I don't know if they're an underdog team because they were third place last year, but maybe Yakult Swallows. Because That's a Tokyo-based team. Tokyo, yeah. Tokyo Yakult Swallows. They have really good They have really good hitters, really good hitters. Um, Tetsuto Yamada, their second baseman, might be the best Offensive player in Japan because he can hit, he can run, steal bases, he can pretty much do it all. So um, they're a good team to watch. And in the other league, hmm, underdogs, I don't really know because it seems as if none of them got particularly better over the offseason. Maybe the Chibolote Marines because they didn't hit many home runs last year. I think they may have been the only team that didn't hit 100. So this year they've kind of moved the fences in. So they made it easier for them to hit home runs. So okay. we'll see if they can do that or not. And they signed the guy, Brandon Laird, who once led the Pacific League in home runs. So they may hit more home runs and then they may do well. But moving the fences in is kind of a double-edged sword because your team may hit more home runs, but the other teams might hit more home runs against you. So I didn't realize you could do that, just move the kind of boundaries of the pitch in. It's kind of, um, it's a weird thing. It's kind of, you're changing the actual stadium. It's not something you see a lot. Um, and you put seats, some, t- some teams will put seats in, but you don't really see it very, very often. The SoftBank did it a couple of years ago, and they hit, they actually did hit more home runs, and they also sold those seats. Oh, I remember because a lot of those seats got turned into uh, reclining deck chairs. Yeah, the home run terrace is what they call it now. So, <laughs> so yeah, you could sit there just lying on the deck. Get deck hit chairs. by baseballs. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. What about new players? Are there anyone? Is there anyone that's come along this year um, who's really shown himself in the off season who might you know, prove themselves in the upcoming season? As far as new guys, I don't know if any of the rookies are going to have much of a big impact. Everybody's like crazy over Akira Neal, who went to the Chunichi Dragons. He played for Osaka Toyin, which won the high school championship in the summer. And he's a, he was a really good player in high school, so everyone's pretty excited to see how he does with Chunichi. There's also Kosei Yoshida, who plays for the Fighters. He was the pitcher in the high school championship tournament who threw 881 pitches in six games. So people are wanting to see how much of his arm is left and yeah. if he's, how he's going to do. Nothing but bone on bone in there. Right. I mean, and again, and that sparked the controversy because people were wondering if it's that child abuse to make a kid throw that many pitches in such a short amount of time. And he threw an amount of pitches that no professional threw in a month. And in so, six games? In six games. No professional did it in a month. I think the closest a professional got in an, in six games, the closest a professional got was about 700 and something. That was Daichi Osera of the Hiroshima Cart. So, wow, yeah. that's quite significant. Well, I mean, that's that's back to kind of the old school Japan kind of 
way of baseball of the because people love the sacrifice and that's the grit and the guts and all that thing. There used to be something in Japan called the Thousand Fungo Drill, which was basically um, you have a, a coach standing a few feet in front of a player and he's got a bat and a ball and he hits the ball at the player and the player's goal is to dive, you know, to try to stop the <laughs> ball. It's like a fielding exercise. And Wait, I mean, so he's trying to catch it or dodge the ball? No, he's trying to catch it. He's trying to catch it, okay. Yeah, it's kind of a fielding exercise to test, you know, reflexes and that sort of thing in your fielding acumen. And it was called a thousand fungo drill because as legend had it, you do it a thousand times. And, of course, you know, people talk about it and they say, you know, the guy can't walk or he can barely move. I'm not sure if, because, again, it's one of those folk tales. I'm not sure if anybody ever got through 1,000. I think there are tales of people getting through 1,000, but I think it's probably more like, the couple of hundred fungo drill before you physically can't do it again. <laughs> but that's the same thing with the pitching. People love that like repetitive, that repetitive sacrifice. Again again. Yeah, and especially at Coach Jane, it's just so romanticized. This one kid going out with every with everything on his riding on his shoulders, throwing a hundred and something pitches. And was like, he consistent across eight hundred and eighty one pitches? Because I, I just imagine by the end of that you're throwing he was consistent across about uh, six or seven hundred of them. I mean, they they were lucky to win one game, and then when they got to the final, he was absolutely shot, and he just got lit up by Osaka Toin, and they had to take him out. And the same thing happened a couple of years ago at Tomo. I forget his name, Anraku from Saibi High School. He threw just a ton of pitches, and by the, he got his team to the final. And when he got to the final, he was absolutely spent, and they got crushed. Mm. And then what about non-Japanese uh, players within the league? Uh, have uh, any like, new interesting people coming over from outside of outside of Japan? Um, Ryan Cooks here, who was an all-star in the major leagues as a reliever. He signed with the Yomiuri Giants, and he's part of the trying to help them get back to the top. Um, Christian Villanueva is another player who signed for the Giants. He's an he's an infielder and supposed to be a good good slugger. We'll see, I guess. Um, Brandon Mann, who I, I mentioned earlier, he used to play for the the Bay Stars. Which actually, I met Brandon for the first time on the day of the Tohoku earthquake. That was his first year in Japan. <sighs> Tough year to be in Japan. Yeah, he said that he he says the craziest day of his life, and so he's he's back. He's a good reliever. So and he's got experience in Japan, which you don't see. Now, not a lot of guys have a ton of experience in Japan. So, What kind of issues do uh, non-Japanese players have coming over and, and joining the Japanese leagues? Mm-hmm. The biggest one, obviously, would be the language barrier. Mm, of course. And then um, I know a former player, Nate Minchi, used to say that people underestimate what it's like to be able to kind of get your favorite foods or to look at your favorite television programs, although that's been sort of mitigated by technology now. But um, I know for pitchers, because pitchers are kind of away from the rest of the team a lot of the time. If you're the only foreign pitcher, it's just you out there in the dugout with the rest of the Japanese. And as friendly as they may be, sometimes there's a language barrier. So that's probably the biggest thing, the language barrier and adjusting to the way Japanese play the game because a lot of players who have been really good have come to Japan and just absolutely failed because they refuse to sort of adjust because they've Figure I've been in the major leagues. I know what I'm doing, and it's a different beast here. And are there so, any famous examples of that? Uh, Brian Bannister was an all star. I think I'm not sure if he was an all star in America, but he was a big name, and he 
he couldn't cut it for a while. And Brian Falkenborg was another guy who came over and didn't do very well and then left. And Gabe Kapler, who's actually now the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, he was another one who was supposed to do very well and just didn't do much with the Giants. So there are a few guys who've come over and not been very well. And there's some older examples who who didn't do it. I can't names escape me right now, but that's that's one of the things that happens. You you have a guy who will come over and think he thinks he knows everything, and rightfully so because he made it to the major leagues and he's obviously a really good player. But yeah. the game is different, and they play a little bit different, and those little nuances are enough to throw you off because baseball is a very unforgiving sport. Going back on it is Zimmer at the wall. So moving from the domestic game um, and looking across the Pacific to the Major League, um, who are the Japanese people who are making waves over there at the moment? Everybody loves Shohei Otani. And Shohei Otani is the, the, the main event right now as far Why as... Is that? Well, for one, he, he's he's a two-way player, which you don't see. You know, he's he can pitch at the top level and he can hit at the top level because most of your players, especially in the major leagues, you're either a really good pitcher and you pitch, or you're a really good hitter and you hit. You don't have people who can do both, and he's doing both. You don't have people in Japan who can do both either. It's because it's such it's such a specialized sport, and it's so hard to do one of those things well. To to do two of them is amazing. That's why. It's not really been done since Bay Ruth did it about 100 years ago. Wow. And so everyone has been just very excited to see what he's going to do. Although he had surgery on his arm, so he's only going to be batting this year. So he, we won't get to see him do both things until 2020 at the earliest. And so he moved to the major leagues last year? Yes, so he, was the, he was the rookie of the year, actually, last year. So obviously a very good season for him, being yeah. rookie of the year. Uh, Apart from the fact he's not pitching this year, he's only going to be batting. What what can we expect to see from him? It's interesting because when he there was a stretch in Japan when he was hurt, his arm was hurt, but they still let him bat, and he just kind of went crazy at the plate, getting a bunch of hits, a lot of doubles, a lot of home runs. So I would expect to see since he's only going to be focusing on one thing, although he will be rehabbing his arm and doing the things that he has to do to get back as a pitcher. I expect to see him do really well at the plate because he's that kind of player. So I expect to see him do pretty well. He's going to probably be the designated hitter for the Angels, so he won't have to you know, be in the field or anything. So he can focus on his hitting and working his arm back into shape after surgery. And another new player starting this year is uh, Yusei Kikuchi. Yes. Could you tell me a bit about him and his playing style? Kikuchi also is a pitcher. And interesting, Kikuchi went to Hanamaki Higashi High School in Iwate Prefecture and he was the hot shot player from that high school, and a lot of major league scouts went to see him. And it was good that they went to see him because then all the major league scouts knew how to get there because a couple of years later, that's where Otani went to school. Uh-huh. And so um, Kikuchi is a, a left-handed pitcher. He pitched for the Cebu Lions when he was here. And um, he throws hard, I guess, 90, 92, 94, mid-90s, tops out about 96, I guess, in Japanese he throws in about 154, 158, 9 range. You don't really see that and kind of velocity. Yeah. yeah. You don't really see that sort of velocity out of a left-hander. And so that's going to make him um, pretty pretty tough to handle, especially early on. He also He's also got a really good slider. His pitch, um, one of his secondary pitches. 
So um, I expect him to do pretty well. And he's got the stuff to do really well. I expect he do really well early on. But, of course, as does happen, the major league teams, once they see him and once they've played against him, then they're, they're going to have a better idea. So I think we'll really get a good sense of what he's going to be in his first year in the second half of the season because every team has a scouting report on him, but it's different once the players have actually faced him. And so reverse question, obviously the non-Japanese people come here and they they face challenges, language barrier in particular. What kind of challenges do the Japanese players going abroad face? The same, the the language barrier is a big one. Um, One of the biggest things the Japanese players going abroad face is the major leagues are better. It's a better league. It's um, Despite this kind of perfectionism you're talking about earlier with the win practicing. Right. It's just because there's, on the whole, better athletes, guys who are more skilled at the game naturally. And, and Americans do practice, uh, major league players do practice a lot, just not as much as Japanese. Mm. But I think the top, the top, top level of MLB and MPB are comparable. But I think it's as you go farther down, Major League has a there's a lot more depth in MLB, so you're dealing with a lot more really good players. Whereas in Japan, you're dealing with really good players, great players, and then some okay players. In the States, you're dealing with really good players, then some more really good players, <laughs> then some more really good players, then some great players, <laughs> then some really really good players, then some okay players. So it's the depth that trips up a lot of guys because I mean it's hard to deal with over and over again with all these really good players, whereas in Japan you can kind of coast a little bit on the bottom end because the worst side of the worst Japanese players are way worse than the worst major league players. Oh, interesting. And then I guess the third player we should talk about is uh, Ichiro Suzuki, the Mm -hmm. famous Ichiro. And then I talked to Ichiro, Mm -hmm. and uh, I said, now, how exactly do you throw that ball from in the outfield to home plate? Like a laser uh, he's now 45, which seems very old to be playing in the major leagues. It is it's very old. It's very old. How's he managed that? By being Ichiro, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he's he's the man, the, the man of mystery. The He's going to be the first Japanese baseball player to ever make it to the MLB Hall of Fame if he ever retires long <laughs> enough to go into the Hall of Fame. But um, yeah, Ichiro is, he's done almost everything in America except win a championship. He's been the MVP. He was the MVP and the Rookie of the Year his first year there. He broke some, broke, broken a lot of records, been an all-star, but he's slowing down. I mean, he's 45. He's not the player he used to be. So people are always wondering whether or not, he's coming with Seattle, the Mariners, to open the season in Japan at Tokyo Dome, and Kikuchi will actually be pitching in those games too. And the question is, will Ichiro like just retire after that? Because last year they didn't cut him, but he was kind of given a special role as the assistant to the chairman, which okay. is basically they didn't want to cut him, but they didn't have room for him. So they just made up some phony it's position kind of an honorary for him. Basically, they made up some phony positions. So he practiced with the team. He went on all the road trips. He took batting practice before the game, and then he couldn't be on the dugout because he wasn't on the roster technically. So he had to go watch the game in the clubhouse. But he did that because he didn't want to retire, and the Mariners brought him back. And it's easier to bring guys back during spring training. And 
to see what they're going to do. And he's on a minor league contract, and obviously they're going to bring him to Japan. That's one of the big draws. And after that is where it gets kind of tricky because the Mariners are kind of trying to get younger, and it's it's hard to get younger with a 45-year-old outfielder. But he is Ichiro, (laughs) so they may find some place for him. I imagine he won't retire in Japan. I think he'll probably – he's the caliber of player that they may want to – do something for him in Seattle or have his last game be in Seattle. Um, and so that Seattle Mariners versus it's Oakland, Oakland Athletics. Athletics. So that's actually happening tonight. How are you going to be spending it? Where are you going to be watching it from? Tokyo Dome. Very I'll good. be covering it, so I'll be there to see what happens and how Ichiro does and the flash bulbs that will go off because you know Ichiro has his signature batting form. And I do remember the last time the Mariners played here in 2012, when Ichiro, when he did his his batting stance, and he was really good at that point. And when he did his batting stance, the entire Tokyo Dome basically just lit up with camera flashes, which is actually a really cool moment. And there's a lot of oohs and ahs when he when he did it. So I'm expecting to see that thing again because this time people are going to be saying goodbye to him because I'm not sure Ichiro will play in Japan once he's done the major leagues. And he said himself that the Mariners' uniform is the last one he wants to wear. I think the Japanese fans will be saying goodbye to him. So it should be pretty exciting to see him again. Well, I'm going to let you run off and uh, go enjoy the game. But thank you very much, Jason, for joining us in the studio today. Thanks for having me. You can read Jason Koskri's reporting for the Japan Times at japantimes.co.jp. And if you have a spare moment, I'd definitely suggest diving into the world of Japanese baseball theme songs. There's some absolute gems out there. Deep Dive was hosted this week by me, Oscar Boyd, and our guest was Jason Koskri. Many thanks again to him. If you like Deep Dive, please leave us a review. It really does help. And you can subscribe to this podcast and find more episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you know a friend who might enjoy this episode, why not share it with them? Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.